American Hammers TV, this is another special episode. We have um, Wayne from Dallas is my co-host, which we usually have during our you know, special Monday episodes, <laughs> um, who I actually got to visit this last week, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I've and still I got a hangover. Thanks a lot, Tim. <laughs> um, but yeah, today's special guest is Gio from Hammers Chat, which is, just so all you know, it, it's part of the reason why... American Hammers TV exists too. Um, we, um, you know, we watched hundreds of hours of it. Um, it was really influential in what American Hammers TV does. Uh, we felt that, you know, to grow the American West Ham fan base, uh, we needed to do something like that here. So thanks, Gio, man. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. I mean, I don't know whether I should say thank you for the kind words or apologise for, <laughs> <laughs> for making for you watching us all this time. But no, I appreciate the support, obviously, and I speak for myself, Gonzo, Tom, Charlie, etc. as well. Yeah, man, you guys, you know, it, what's, what's really cool about what you guys do is that you have options as well. It's, it's not just, you know, a cup of tea, and um, you also have Mike on Mondays, which is hilarious. And um, lately you have been watching a lot of the, um, you know, the female guests on um you know the hammers two channel right is that what it is yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah to get their opinions on the matches which is really cool um so there's a lot to offer with you guys yeah we do our best i mean we don't really have any we always try and come up with new stuff don't we um it usually will be the same as well you're trying you'll try and come up with new things and new ideas to make it a little bit different if you like um we've been winging it since day one and, uh, and i think we're, we're nearly four years on youtube we're nearly four years old hammer chats coming up to five years at the end of this year but we started off as like a forum um so the youtube will be four years old in the summer um we've been winging it since day one and we're still winging it today and i wouldn't change it for the world to be honest with you no i mean with us even we've met a lot of great people through this um we've met a lot of great west ham fans Visiting from you know from England over here to the states and and not only that just a lot of cool American hammers um, you know some of the best fans in the world we say this pretty much every episode uh, um, to be a West Ham fan I mean you, you got to be loyal I mean there's no you're not you're not a glory hunter you know by any means whatsoever but um, you know the stories that we're hearing um, even the the people who move over here from you know Britain. Um, you know, the stories you mean they tell like us. Me? <laughs> <laughs> you mean like me? No, the stories are fantastic and some of the best people I've ever met, you know. And I have a, a real quick funny, not funny, but it's kind of a strange story. Um, I was there for the last two matches of, last two home matches last season. And it just so happened that the play, I think it was the Everton match, the last game of the season, um, I was hanging out with these Norwegians and, and, um, and Germans. And they said, yeah, let's go eat breakfast before the match. I forgot the name of the place. Something about a cow. I, I can't remember the, the name of the joint. But it just so happened that you and Nick and um, two other lads were eating the next the next table over. And I kept telling these people, I'm like, that's that's Gio from Hammers Chat. And they're like, you know, they're obviously from Norway and Germany. They didn't really know what that was. But, you know, I was all excited. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And yeah, it was just a small world. Yeah, you should have came and said hello. Um, I, I thought so, but you guys were... You know, I don't want to interrupt you guys. You guys are looking busy and having fun, so. Nah, there's looking busy, then there's being busy. There's a complete difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've man. got a question for you, Gio. I mean, you mentioned that the forum earlier. I mean, I've, I've been on the forum for, for donkey's years. Um, what, how, how did the show grow out of the forum? Was it, was it a, a suggestion? And, 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 and how did you become part of the, part of the show? Um the forum sort of came from another website there used to be an old website and gonzo was involved in that with other people that's on the forum and i never actually used to interact because um i, I thought it was sort of older people than me and to be fair i'm right <laughs> they are older than me um but i never really interacted <laughs> but then the old website used to it, it was going downhill quickly and everybody was saying where we're yeah. going to go so Gonzo sort of made a forum and it was pink because he didn't know what he was doing. Um, so he just made this forum and said, look, I've sort of built the house, but I've got no furniture. But everybody said, that oh, doesn't matter. We're all coming over. So I sort of joined it as well. But at the time, I used to write a bet for a betting website um, 
about West Ham. So I used to do a preview of every West Ham game from a better perspective. So I thought, well, well I'll join this place and stick my uh, Ben blog on here <laughs> and get some views and stuff. So I, I did that, but I spoke to Gonzo about it and stuff, and then he was fine. And then um, sort of in the May time, I said to Gonzo, do you mind if I create a Twitter account to try and get new people? He said, oh, I'm not too fussed about growing it, but crack on. So I did. Then funny enough, I used to be a guest on a betting show like through like hangouts and stuff like what we're doing just now. I used to be the guest for the bench. So someone just come on and say, what do you think about this game? Blah, blah, blah. And one of my friends who used to watch that show, Sports Bristol City, um, he said, oh, you should start a, a YouTube show using that for West Ham. And I said, there's absolutely no way I'm doing that with this Scottish accent. And he said, well, you're very naive. <laughs> you're very naive if you don't think there's loads of West Ham fans that don't all speak Cockney, East End, etc." So I was a bit wary of it, but I said I mentioned it to Gonzo, and we just one night we just thought, you know what, let's just give it a bash and see what happens. And um, you know, that episode number one's still there, and we look a lot younger, a lot healthier. <laughs> 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 but you can tell you can tell it's our first episode though, because uh, we're a lot, uh, you know, scratching our armpits, looking at the ceiling for ninety percent of the show, etc. And it's just sort of just snowballed. Um, and funny enough, Charlie came on for the first ever video I just put on Twitter. Does anyone fancy doing a webcam type thing? So Charlie replied saying, yeah. So he came on the first ever episodes and he's still with us today. Um, so while people say, like, what's the best things you've done with Hamish Chat, it goes back to what you just said there about meeting people and stuff. And that's my favourite thing. And, you know, and I've met some friends that I consider now to be some of my best friends in life. And hopefully they will be best friends for a very long time. Um, so there's your romantic story for the evening. <laughs> well, that's lovely. Now, yeah, I mean, you're from way up there, and I think for for, for the the Americans that are over here, you know, Americans have got a really bad reputation for being terrible at geography. So, um, I'm I mean, we should point out to them that that where you're from is a little bit more than a stone's throw away from from even Upton Park when when we were at the old stadium. Do you want to explain to them where you're originally from? Um. I'm I'm originally from Aberdeen. I'm still in Aberdeen, um, which is in very northeast of Scotland. So I'm 550 miles from my front door to the London Stadium. So now, how does a Scottish lad get into West Ham? Because <laughs> I've done dad... all the internet and I can't bloody find out any information about you at all. You're a ghost. Yeah, we're, 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 oh, well, you're going to get some spoilers here because we're... One of the questions, when we do a cup of tea, a bit like yourselves, you say, has anyone got any questions? Every show, how does Joe and Gonzo know each other? How does Joe and Gonzo know each other? And I'm always tempted to say, he's my dad, just to see how many people are. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always tempted. Just, he's my dad. We just um, grew up in separate ears. But um, no, my dad made me support West Ham. Um, I always say I had three rules of childhood growing up. One, be nice to your mum. Two, work hard at school. And three, support West Ham. And I did two of the three. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, good gosh. Oh, God, yeah. Um, so, I'm trying to think here. We have, um, oh, no, that's my thing. Uh, Nick from Cross Hammers, uh, Nick Tucker, uh, he wanted me to ask you guys, uh, or actually you especially, uh, what's your favorite away day? Um, I don't get to as many as people like Nick does. Nick goes to, you know, 90% of away games, etc. But Newcastle, but it's because for me it's more about sort of around the game as much as the game itself. If you like, if you were to say what specific away game have I been to that I enjoyed the most, it would actually be when we got beat by Man City in the League Cup semi final, six um, nil, because the atmosphere was just fantastic. It was such a good laugh, and we all had a good time because we turned up knowing that we weren't going to win. And um, I happened to be working in Glasgow at that time. So to get from Glasgow to Manchester was reasonably quick for me. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go down to the semi-final and come back in the same night, etc. We got smashed, but the way in was just rocking. Everybody just had a really good time. And it got to the point when City scored, we were just laughing, really. Everybody just thought it was more fun. <laughs> when it went 3-0, 4-0, the crowd just got louder and louder. And if that doesn't sum up West Ham, I don't know what does. I think so, that's a that's a great point there. I mean, when when I was watching with with my group in uh, in Dallas, it's like a lot of times I think people just look at me and think he must be a complete idiot because all he's doing is laughing and chatting and having a, having a good time. But I think what you just said is this: a lot of the times you just know it's gone sour, 
you know it's, it's a lot of the times it's the West Ham way it just bloody happens and you're like you, you go into self-preservation mode and you have another beer and you just you go with the flow and you start having fun I think that's what makes us great supporters yeah um, so yeah especially in um, the, t- the time that I went out to London I, see I've never been to the Bowen I've been to Olympic Stadium. I saw two matches there. I saw the nil-nil Man U draw uh, next to the last game of the season, and I saw us beat, you know, Allardyce's Everton 3-1, to one, which that was electric, man. And it, uh, Wayne's been to the bowling, obviously. And uh, Wayne, you've not been to the Olympic, right? I've not been to the Olympic yet, so, no. And just like my, my regular co-host, Lee, he's never he's been to bowling, but he's never been to the London Stadium. So um, we have... I don't have that perspective, like say that you would have Geo of, you know, the difference between the atmospheres and both um, and, you know, pretty much same thing with Lee and, and sounds like Wayne too. Um, you've been to both obviously. And you talk a lot about the, the atmosphere and there was a poll also a couple of weeks ago, right? Maybe like a month ago yeah. that went out. Yeah. Um, and you guys did a review on that as well, which was awesome. Very, very in depth. Um, I feel personally that, the stadium itself, the game, the atmosphere in, in the matches, the listening to everybody sing bubbles and everything else. Um, I don't know if it was just because it was the last two games of the season or not, but it was electric. It was absolutely the atmosphere inside the stadium was fantastic. The atmosphere in the pubs outside the stadium were fantastic. But as you would know, they're so far spread out. Um, my issue is that Stratford's the problem. It's the setup of the city around the stadium. Um, the no direct way to anything and and all the pubs that everybody congregates to, they're all spread out um, and not really that close, you know, to the pitch or to the stadium. So, um, and obviously there's no, um, you know, uh, tents or uh, what do you call it? Um, you know, businesses outside, um, booths or whatnot that sell different things. I'm like there was at, um, you know, Upton Park. But um, other than that, I mean, I, I think the city's the problem. It's not really the stadium itself. The stadium can be fixed. I mean, the, the issues that everybody keeps coming up with are fixable issues when it comes to the stadium. But um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't mean you c- to criticise your opinion, but I think you maybe got the novelty factor in there as well. A little bit, you know, when you went, you only went for twice. You know, when I first went, I thought it was, I was a bit wowed by it as well because I went for the Juventus game and um, um, gone, so I'd gone to the the European game, Dunzali, I think it was, and he, uh, he said, oh, our view's fantastic from our seat, blah, blah, blah. So I got excited, I went in, I thought, wow, it was almost like watching football in HD for some reason. It sounds a bit strange, but it's almost mm-hmm. like you were watching in high def- definition. But after a few games, you start to realise, you start looking around, you start noticing everything a little bit more. Someone will point something out, you say, I didn't really know that. Then you can't miss it from then on. You can, it's that old, it's sort of like a social media fun saying now, isn't it? I can't unsee that. And that's sort of coming to play a little bit with the London Stadium. Um, some games, the atmosphere in that place is just terrible. It's just non-existent. Um but it was the same at the bowling too, though, right? I mean, weren't there matches it, it, it that was. were like ten thousand fans? Or it was, it was, but it was easier to get the atmosphere going at um, the bowling ground. It was easier because if the Bobby Moore lower sang a lot, which it did, and the Chav Corner sang a lot, you know, then the chicken run would get going as well, and it, you suddenly had a bigger proportion of fans. And I remember, if you had Upton Park, a twenty thousand fans sang, that was over half the ground singing at the London Stadium that's a third of the ground singing. So the proportion is, 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 is massive. The scale is much smaller. And the scale of the ground is obviously different as well. You know, 20,000 people singing in a smaller ground is obviously going to generate a lot more noise than 20,000 people singing in a bigger ground. It's just simple mass. Um, but I think some games, when we the last game we just played there, um, Everton, when we got beat by Everton, I, I go where Nick goes when you have him on in where we go, the atmosphere is good. I'm I'm reasonably happy with the atmosphere in that section because they do try and sing. But the problem is, it stops literally a handful of seats away. It's almost like a barricade. The wall, the the one fan will be singing. The seat next to him will not be singing, and it'll be all the way up or the whole stand. It literally just stops. It comes and then there's a whole stand which is the Billy Bond stand now where. 
they sit down to watch football, which is fine. You know, I've not criticised people that go and sit down. But then the BML are singing. But the problem is, for us to sing in unison, is near impossible because of the sheer size of the place. Um, at the bowling ground, you didn't have that problem because of one stand sign. Usually, the other stand could join in with them. London Stadium is, is a bit more difficult. And sometimes we'll be singing bubbles. And then you start to hear the BML's bubbles and we're at different points of the song. And you're, sort of, you're trying to think, well, do I keep singing this one or do I switch over to that one? And it's just a bit, it's difficult. Um, I think long-term, it's something I'd like the club to look at. But as I said in that survey thing, when we are selling out, which we are, we're selling out every single game, the tickets are sold. Now, whether bums on seats are happening, I'm not too sure. I think there's still thousands of people not turning up. The club won't really mind because they've got the money. Mm-hmm. They've sold out. They're happy. It's not worth them. This is why I always say about David Sullivan, David Gold, buying stadium and you know moving the seats closer. It would cost hundreds of millions to do that. They're not going to make any more money doing it. The seats are already sold out. They're going to literally generate no more extra revenue doing it. So why would they spend hundreds of millions changing the ground to get zero benefit? The fans will be happier, but financially, they'll be... Uh, well, a massive amount of money out of pocket. I don't know, 300 million at a pure punt. I don't know how much these things cost, but it costs a lot of money to do something which would earn them no revenue. Um, so I think that's where I'm at. I've just got used to the London Stadium. Do you know all those flaws, the scaffolding, the cable ties? I don't notice them mm-hmm. anymore. I know they're there, but I just walked past them. I've just got used to it. Um, and I think most people have. I think that's why a lot of people are happier. But the football does have a a big impact um, on the atmosphere, if you like. When we beat Arsenal earlier this season, the place was fantastic. Uh, I I almost lost my voice because I was singing non-stop because we scored early on in the game and we kept kept it going through. Um, You know, Southampton, when we beat Southampton last season, I remember doing the review and I said to Gonzo, do you know what? I had fun. You know, it's, and it's not often <laughs> I can say that. It's not often I can say that about football inside the ground, etc. I had fun from the first minute to the last. We went in there a little bit drunk. The football was good, and the football was good throughout ninety minutes. So everybody was singing, and I had fun. I enjoyed myself. Sometimes you come out there uh, more under David Moyes because I just hated him. But it felt like a chore going. Uh, <laughs> yes. This football is a happy medium. It varies from game to game. So, what do you think about the um, the atmosphere outside the stadium, though? Too, I mean, for, for, we talked about the inside, but um, you know what I'm saying about the, all the pubs being like Carpenter's Arms is a you know handful of like I don't know maybe a mile or so away from you know Carton Horses, which is you know not that far from Queenshead, but you know I mean, this, this, and then you get the Supporters Club even further away from them, you know it. But in between that, there's just shopping or construction or hotels or you know just random stuff it's not the way it was at the you know at the park yeah i mean i'm biased because mike told you uh, when he was on last month or whatever but we've got the boats i'm biased because I, I just head I'm straight there yeah. and yeah. so I, i'm two minutes from my seat drinking two minutes from my seat and i don't have to leave until you know kickoffs three i don't have to leave the boats till 20 to 3 at the earliest and i can be in my seat in time um but that construction will finish one day and I think it'll be a big difference when the construction is done and all the buildings are up. So it's not such a vast, open, windy space because at the minute it is a windy space. As soon as you step out of Westfield, if it's raining and if it's windy, you get hit by the weather elements and it's a good five, ten minute walk before you get back in under shelter. So for ten minutes, you're sort of exposed to... Well, it's not nice, is it, when it's windy and wet? But once those buildings go up, I think that'll provide a little bit of shelter and it might make it a little bit more feasible. Um, but that's a long, long sort of term project a little bit. You know, the club have tried to do some things. I've noticed they've been putting sort of flags up with legends on it around the ground and stuff. Um, and they've had a band playing on the Heineken bar outside the Billy Bond stand a couple of times or a DJ. And the music sounds pretty good out there. So they are trying a little bit. But I get what you're saying. It's, to me, it's just too open. It's just far too open. You, you mentioned, Gio, about um, the fact that there's a, there's almost like a disconnect between where you're at and, and, and like, the, the Bobby Moore lower. Um, is there any movement by the club or any talk of the club of moving people around so, so the more vocal fans can all sort of be in a, in a section that's together? Are, are they open to that sort of suggestion or is it just a matter of, you know, you've, you've picked your seats now, you're kind of stuck with it, it's too much aggravation for us to try and move people about? 
think I think they've done as much as they can, to be honest with you. It's a lot better than you one year one. There was literally punch ups about sitting and standing and stuff. And we're seeing at Spurs now. Spurs have got their new ground and there's a sort mm-hmm. of pushing and shoving and letters going out to people saying, Sit down or you're getting a ban. We went through all that. So I, I actually sympathize a lot with them. It's a horrible environment to be in as a fan when you want to do your thing that you've got used to as part of your footballing culture, if you like. You've been standing for years at Bowling Ground, you want to stand at Bowling Stadium. But at the same time, if there's people sitting down, you want to sort of you sympathise with them, but at the same time, you don't want to change your, your culture. For the yeah. club, I think they've done as much as they can, but there's just not many spare seats anymore. But also the, the, the price banding, if you like, makes it difficult because the East Stand, where there's sort of little atmosphere, in my opinion, the seats are a lot more expensive than they are behind the Bobby Moore stand, etc. So for the club to shift them all together, something would have to give, and they would mean either fans paying a lot more money, and we're talking two or three hundred pounds more to sit in the East stand, or the club would have to restructure their pricing, and that would put a lot of noses out of joints. You know, people in the East stand don't deserve to be, you know, get told, you know, up, out, because people are, we're going to put people in there that's going to sing, and um, this should have been done when we moved, essentially, the summer of 2016, the migration. This should have all been calculated into that. It wasn't. And um, we suffered the consequences. But it's a lot better now. There's no more sitting and standing arguments, etc. It sorted itself out, really. So as, as a, an American hammer coming over to the, to, to the London Stadium for the first time, if you want to experience it like as close as you could do, I mean, or even myself, I mean, I... I I, I, I stood at, at, at Upton Park all the bloody time. If I come over and watch a match at, at the London Stadium, I know there's no way I'm going to bloody well sit down. And if I'm sitting down in, in, a, in a block where people are all sitting around me, they're, I'm going to piss off a load of people. <laughs> really, I'll be, I'll be the only person standing up and singing and cursing and being an idiot. Where should I say I need to be, I need to be sitting to be with my people, my people that stand and scream and shout and sing and... And, and um, curse a bit. <laughs> you've got you've got three sections for that. You've got the Bobby Moore Lower Block One One Three One One Four, which is on the west side, uh, beside the away end, and then you've got the, the sort of the old Chav Corner. So on the corner of the Bonds and the Booking, which is blocks One Two Nine One Three Zero One Three One. Um, those are your three areas really that people do stand, and the stewards are now turning a blind eye to it. And, it, and the stadium's benef- benefiting massively from sort of. When we first went in, they got told, make everyone sit down. Now they've also been told, just back off a little bit and it's sorted now. And the stadium's massively reaping the rewards for, I suppose, the club saying to uh, LS185 or whatever, saying, look, it's it's done now. Just, just leave them be, OK? And we're not seeing any trouble now. It's been, I couldn't tell you last time um, there was any trouble over there because of the sitting and standing thing. Yeah. See, for me, if if I'm an old school hammer that's, that's relocated to the States, I'm planning a trip home. I would tune into this episode just to listen to what you just told me there in that last 90 seconds, because that's everything to me. Cause you don't want to go back and go, Oh, blimey, what the hell have they done? It's, it's, it's tough enough that we've, we've missed out on the last, the last season at, at the bowling, but, uh, but being able to do that, thank you so much for, for, for enlightening us on that, because that's a big deal to us. Yeah. Rather than going in blind. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so they've got a lot of questions. Um, a lot of questions. There's a bunch on Twitter too. So, um, Jack McCaddy asked uh, one player that you would like uh, or most like us to sign in the summer. Um, is it realistic or unrealistic? Is there a, is there a, a rule of thumb here? <laughs> <laughs> no, most, no uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> most like us to realistically sign. There you go. Realistically. Um. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to borderline on both. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to go for a bit of both. At the minute, there's a there's a kid. A minute, um, he's he, he signed at Dortmund, but he's all loaned to Holland. He scored twelve goals this season. Um, Alexander Isaac. Um, he's I think he's the next big thing. A year ago, I remember telling people we should get Jovic or Piatek, and everybody was like, "No, I don't think so." Well, a year later, I like to say I was right, <laughs> and um, I think. <laughs> I, th- I think this guy is sort of the next hot property in European football, if you like. Um, so he'd be my sort of outside shout. But, you know, I, I always wish for the day to see West Ham grow a bit of 
throw some cojones and go up against the Cubs roundabout us. Because at the minute, Everton are sort of trying to get Andre Gomez in. Spurs are sniffing about. I would just like to see us go, you know what? That's exactly what we need in centre midfield. What's his price? 30 million. Well, there's our 30 million on the table. Because then, even if he still goes to Everton, you've just probably pushed Everton up. Everton yeah. are going to have to pay a bit more than they really wanted to because you've just come in. Worst case scenario, we have paid 30 million. But you know what? We're going to classic player there we've seen he just ran the show at the london stadium a couple of weeks ago he's exactly the type of midfielder we need and it's the same situation over at leicester city with you the tealsmans um on loan from monaco the asking price is 40 million he's 21 years old that guy will be worth 60 70 million in a couple of years time it's just it's a sound investment you have to go now i'd just like to see us go up against these clubs and say you know what we're going to go to monaco with 40 million thanks Leicester for having him on loan we now we, we now know he can do it in the premier league so thanks for that trial period. We're going to take advantage of that and go buy a player that we know can cut in the Penny League. There's your 40 million. I'll go to Barcelona and say, there's your 30 for Gomez. And let's start putting some noses out of joints about of clubs that are a similar size to it. We did it to Stoke City with Marco Navic and look what happened. Um, now I know he's been a bit of a bad boy and stuff, but... It, it was a massive thing because us and Stoke weren't that world of differences. When we signed him, we were quite on a similar stature. We were quite in similar uh, final position in the Penny League. But we showed the cojones and went there, bullied Stoke City into sign, uh, selling him to us. They don't want to sell him. He refused, demanded to come to us, etc. And that's a massive thing to me. And I would like to see us do it with Everton, Leicester, or Tealsmans and Andre Gomez. Yeah. Um, out of the all the players that we have currently on loan, um, if any, would there be any that you would love to see get the, I don't know, the starting 11 next season or at least push for a shot or um, – or not, or even in just the squad, uh, the first team squad for next year. Um, I've, I've always liked Emilson Fernandez. I liked, yeah. I liked what I've seen of him at West Ham. I thought he had a bit about him. He he was a that he got thrown under the bus a bit by David Moyes. I felt because I, I remember doing it after every review we had under Moyes, and I'm trying to not let get my sort of anti David Moyes specs on here, but. The kid, and he was a kid at the time, and he still is young, was playing in a different position in every single game. And I thought, how is this guy meant to learn? One day he's right back, then he's right mid, then he's centre mid. He is literally different roles with different responsibilities. How is he meant to grow as a player? How is he meant to learn from his mistakes? You know, if he plays right back, then during the weeks, I hope someone would sit him down with his video or whatever and say, this is what you've done wrong, blah, blah, blah. He's taken it all on board and then come Wednesday in training, goes, right, you know, on Saturday, you're starting centre mid. He's thinking, I'm about, you know, I've just got taught what to do at right back. And now you're trying to teach me how to play centre mid. He's gone out to Fiorentina. He's found a bit of form. He's not ripped up Serra. Uh, they don't want him for seven million. But if there's someone I just, if you were to say to me, who is a rough gem that Pellegrini could perhaps mould into a Pellegrini player? Fernandez is who I'd say him. Colin, I would like to see get a go because. What would we be selling for? A million quid? What's the point in that? A million pounds yeah. nothing this day and age in uh, football. Let's just give him a shot. He's got one year left to go at West Ham. And if he doesn't make it, you shake his hand, you thank him, and you let him go up for free because you say, you know what, it's just not worked out. You're 23 years old now. Go find a club. You you can have your pick. You can pick who you go to because you're, you're free. There's nothing hanging over your head. Championship clubs would be queuing up the game. Well, let's give him a shot. And um, Marcus Brown's the third one. There's just, whenever I see that kid, I just say that boy's got it. That boy's got a touch of quality. It's the way he dribbles. It's the way he. I, I don't know. There's just something about a way a player dribbles. I, I sometimes watch. And I think, you know, some players run with their heads down, but it's just the way. I always say he glides. Marcus Brown glides rather than dribbles and runs. Mm -hmm. And I just think he's got that little bit of a sprinkle of something extra. And he's too good. He's at Oxford now, and they're talking about saying about getting permanent. He's too good for League One. Um, yeah. I'll at least keep him in around the squad. Byram and Hugo, to be honest with you, I don't, I'm not fussed about either. Um, they were sold in the summer. I would not be disappointed. They were one was a punt. Byram was a punt. It's not worked out. Hugo was well. <laughs> I don't even know to this day what that was. To be honest with you, and I, I don't think Jordan Hugo knows either. That's the the shame in the story, if you like. <laughs> yeah, hey, it is. He got sold a dream, and he didn't even get a chance at it. It was, what, do you think it was really a panic buy? Um, I think it was trying to keep David Moyes happy for five, six months because, you know, what's worse than an un unmotivated player and unmotivated manager? 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> you say, right, who do you want? Hugo, no problem, we'll go get Hugo. Um, I don't know how true this is, but apparently Hugo's agent is uh, David Moyes' either brother or brother-in-law. Now, that's true, that's a bit uh, sketchy. <laughs> oh, someone, my gosh. look into that. That's what I got told anyway. I got told that there's a connection between David Moyes and Jordan Hugo's uh, agent. So what do you think about the current academy players that, um, that you know, like uh, Nathan Holland, Chris, Co- uh, I'm sorry, Coventry and, um, and, and a lot. Like, do you think there's any of them that would maybe make a run for the first team next year? Um, hands up. I don't watch loads of under 23 football. So I'm not going to sit here and say I watch some week in, week out. I can only go by hype, I suppose, which is what everyone else goes by, isn't it? Um, it's probably a bad thing, but, but there's, there's usually, if there's enough smoke, there's usually something going on. And Nathan Holland's got that about him as well. And when, when you do watch him in snippets of stuff, he plays with his head up. And I would have liked to see him at Old Trafford um, on Saturday. Me too. I, was- I felt in the first half that we were getting a lot of success down the flanks. Um, I thought we were getting wide quite a lot. But our crosses were not great. And I thought, well, we've got a natural winger sitting on the bench here. Why not put him on? Because... Going by the first half, he would have had all the space in the world. He had plenty. T- he would have had plenty time on the ball. Um, so he's someone I'd like to see. Ben Johnson looked as good as a debut you get, especially when you're yeah. at the empty hat. Um, mm-hmm. Him as well. And Connor Coventry is the third one, like you just mentioned there. There's sort of good noises coming about him uh, playing centre midfield. I, I, I do think the centre midfield is arguably the most unforgiving position in Premier League football. If you're trying to break through, you make him. You know, it's hard to make your stamp on it a little bit. And I think it's the most criticised position as well. If you have an average game, people say it's a poor game. You have to sort of be like 8 out of 10 in order to get any credit. Um, but we at West Ham, we tend to be quite lenient with our youngsters a little bit. You know, I I thought Declan Rice was horrendous against Chelsea. He got absolutely bullied by Loftus-Cheek. I thought he was really poor against Huddersfield. There wasn't that much criticism because it was Declan Rice. Um which is good, you know. I'm not. I'm not saying we should all be slagging them off for that. But what I'm saying is, if Mark Noble had played like Declan Rice was, people would have been queuing outside his house with with a pitchfork ready to get him. Um, and, and that's just. It's a good thing though that we do give the kids time, etc. And you know, you know, it's at the London Stadium when Dean Garner comes on, the cheer he gets is a lot more than Antonio or etc. Get when they come on, purely because he's a product of our academy, and you. you you're almost like uh, between you. You're great. You're a great big your fan base. You're a great big syringe full of confidence. You just try and inject that into the player, don't you? Yeah. You, you mentioned a big pitchfork, and so I'm going to go there. Um, what do you feel about the whole business about Anadovich? I mean, would you give him any playing time? I mean, this last match where they said he was sick. I mean, do you think he was sick, or do you think he was just sick of being booed? Oh, I'm sick. I'm sick of him. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> but up until Chelsea, apart from Chelsea, I thought he played well against Chelsea yeah. at Stamford Bridge. I thought he sort of turned up for that one a little bit. Um, everything's everything's been handled the wrong way with him. He's handled it the wrong way. David Sullivan handled it wrongly, giving a contract. Uh, I think Pellegrini's handled it wrong at times as well. I mean, starting in one game, dropping him, putting him back in, dropping him. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help not just Marco Navic, not just Chicharito, it doesn't help either of them, but it doesn't help the players that are trying to play with a striker. They're both completely different players and you want to strike up relationships on the pitch. And how is, um, you know, Lanzini's just come back from injury. How is he meant to get something going with the striker when you're chopping and changing everyone each week? Um, there's a reason you don't do it with centre-backs because you need them to be like that. So why does it not apply to your striker position? I've never understood it. It sort of doesn't seem to matter, but... Um, nobody's winning in this situation. Anatovic is not worth anywhere as he was in January. He's lost the trust from fans. He's lost the trust from his manager. It's a horrible situation. Um, he should have went in January. As soon as he his head wasn't right for the Bournemouth game, that was it. He should have been gone. Um, some are saying Pellegrini chose not to play him. Well, if your manager is leaving you out because your head's not right, that's why you should be sold. Uh, yeah. Do you think he's lost the, the trust of his teammates as well? Um, it's a this is a cynical question, I suppose, to you two. But uh, Old Trafford was one of our best performances for a long time. Team Spirit was there to see. Marco Navic was not in the team. Mm-hmm. 
Is that yeah, coincidence? Seriously. Yeah, you mentioned Lance too. Um, this is the first time, um, not the first time, it, only once this year, how do I put it? Two matches this year had the same lineup. Uh, it was it was a back-to-back. You didn't change the lineup for, I think, um, once this whole, since, since January. So it's been a complete shift, like you were saying, every single match almost um, this season. And that, the, like you said, not even for, you know, the strikeout partnership, but everywhere else on the pitch, um, you can't, I mean, we can't expect results when the players aren't getting used to playing with each other every single week. No, I mean, people say Pellegrini doesn't know his best eleven. He he might do. It's just he's never. He's literally not going to field it this season because that best eleven, in my opinion, would include Yarmolenko and at least one of Nasri Lanzini, and mm-hmm. um, it's 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 not happening. It's never going to happen. But you know the, the amount of injuries we've had this season is ridiculous. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. it's getting to the point where it's just an absolute shambles, and it's costing us points. It is costing us plural points um and it's that then has a, a knockback effect it costs us revenue because you know two million pounds per league finish you know if we've if we've we had seventh in sight at one point now we're suddenly four points ahead of 15th in the league you know there's a good chance we've, we've lost maybe 10 million pounds in revenue this season because of our league position finish and um you know that's a signing that's a good signing um that's a fabianski and balbuena last summer almost paid for so ten million is a lot of money. It, it, it's that'd be stiffed out. It, that's a repercussion of, I suppose, tactics to an extent and players' attitudes, but also injuries. Um, you know, the one thing I've always confuses me though is how the hell has Martin Noble always been injury free his whole career at West Ham? But yeah, yeah, everybody gets injured. So I don't, I don't pinpoint it at the medical services or, or anything like that because Martin Noble is literally constantly never injured and he's been here his whole career so is it the medicals or is it just that we buy injury prone players (laughs) it's it's the latter though you know you look at our players that are injured you look at their history before coming to west ham they've all had injuries it's not a a shock is nobody ever does anyone surprise samir nasri's constantly injured he missed a third of his games at Sevilla in his last playing season. Then he had a 18-month ban. His guy's not played football for 18 months, and we're expecting him to suddenly yeah. turn into a prime Premier League player. It's- I, don't, I don't know if it's do, do you think? Sorry, sorry, no, that, Tim. Do, do you think that's the reason why there's there's so much publicity now about Golden Sullivan saying that we're going to be going now on spending a little bit more money on players with lesser wages because they're going to be younger players because they're really more afraid of 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 the injury status and, and and by going with those younger players, you don't have to worry too much about that. Do you think that's why there's that, that shift in mentality? Possibly, but it's to me, that's also just common sense. You know, mm-hmm. surely every club wants to buy players young, like nobody, <laughs> I, I've literally never heard. Well, we never have. Yeah. <laughs> We've sold all of our young ones, right? And bought all of these old dodgy geezers that, that I would be playing with on a frigging Sunday league. <laughs> Have either of you two ever heard a manager right come out and say, "Do you know what? This summer, I think we're going to try and sign thirty-three-year-olds. Um, they're not going to cost much money, but they're going to be on really high wages." It's literally never happened. So to come out with all this, we're going to sign young players and stuff. Well, honestly, like it was surprise Sherlock, is it? It doesn't take a genius to work this out. Um, but it's it's about time we started doing stuff like that because. We're reaping the rewards a little bit with with the we signed him for twenty million. The guy's worth forty million already, and mm-hmm. um, one season in Premier League, he's doubled his value. Um, I still think West Ham need to be a, 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 a selling club to an extent for a, a few years now. Yeah, I, I do. I know it's not popular, but we need to get realistic here, and we need to do what Spurs did years ago with Modric and Bale. We need to take risks in the transfer market and sell players when we consider them to be, you know, not peak value because, you know, they'll go on to become a greater value. But we need to sell players when we think we're getting a lot of money for them. But trusting our director of football to go out and replace that player for less money or essentially buy two players for the price of one. And you just have to, you, you just have to take one step back sometimes. But as long as you've got the structure in place to take two steps forward, you're always moving forward. Um, and I think that's what West Ham United need to do. But the problem is it's going to require a lot of patience, mm-hmm. something we don't have. And it's going to require a lot of balls in the transfer market, which 
you know, until last summer, we didn't have. Um, and it's going to require some absolute genius from Husserlos and Pellegrini, which they've proven in their career they can do it. But managers and directors of footballs have a lifespan. There's a reason Jose Mourinho is struggling a little bit now because his sort of, you know... There his is, window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a period, isn't there? There's a period when managers hit it. Eventually, they sort of become outdated. Their tactics aren't aren't you know current anymore, etc. And there's there's few that change. And I always say Fergie's success wasn't because of Fergie. Well, it was. But it's also because he changed his assistant manager regularly in order to keep up to date with sort of the newest tactics, the newest sort of what's going on behind the scenes and stuff. Fergie was a genius because he let other people do his work really. And um, was, we need to trust Husserlos. I, I genuinely think we need to trust him. All eggs in one basket style. Uh, we have another okay. Twitter question there. Um, it's uh, from Lynn Cannell. She asks, um, if Real Madrid came calling for Rice, uh, you think we should sell? Depends on the money. How, how much? much? It's, uh, well, what about Anderson, too, on that, on, on, uh, that matter? Like, what would you value them at? Um, I would not be... I would, if if he left tomorrow and uh, we got 70 million for him, when we did that video, I wouldn't be angry in it. I would think the club's done well. Um 70 million, it's, it's a difficult value to place because what's his ability today? 40 million pounds, maybe. But when you then take into account his age and his potential, that's when his value shoots through the roof. Um, but how, you know, Real Madrid aren't going to give you, or any club, are, they're not going to give you the money for a 26 year old Declan Rice, are they? You know, he's not the finished article yet. So there needs to be a bit of leeway here. Um, the kid's got the kid. If he's if I've heard him say he wants to win Premier League titles before, um, so I know his ambitions will be greater than West Ham. And you know, this is not necessarily a dig at him. If he's going to change his country, he'll change his football club. It doesn't mean he doesn't love West Ham, it doesn't mean he's not loyal to the club, it just means that he has ambitions as a footballer. And you know what? We should be signing every footballer we shine, sign should have an ambition to play in the Champions League to win trophies because in order to do that, you're going to have to turn up at West Ham and put in some phenomenal performances in order to get that move. And we're going to reap the rewards for that. We will get the benefits of those performances, that determination. And this, this is why it's bad signing players like Carlos Sanchez because what is that geezer aiming for? He's aiming to put as much money in the bank account as possible because retirement is around the corner. Mm-hmm. He's got no long-term future. He's got no long activity at West Ham. He's interested in the short term. That's why Diop's a perfect example. That guy's going to want a captain France. He's going to want to do it. He's probably, he probably wants to see himself playing at PSG one day. You know, something good on you because it's going to cost PSG about 80 million to get you out of West Ham. So, <laughs> you know, you mm-hmm. go and earn that 80 million pound move. But when you do, we're going to be the benefactors of your sort of increase in ability. And it's the same with Declan Rice. Dero Summers, the day he goes, I'll have nothing but genuine wish to. The guy locking, I've always said it. If he goes on to play for Manchester City, whoever, and when I see him lift trophies, I'll be proud of him. So, um, before we, uh, we've got like another 15 minutes left, uh, but I just want to have a little discussion with you because I was reading your recent Twitter comments too, and you mentioned something about Slav and Super Slav and how much you love Slav and, and whatnot. And uh, I'm pretty much the opposite. So, for all of us um, anti-slabs, um, sell us on why why you love them so much. Okay, well, what do you love most about West Ham? Everything. I mean, I got um, the desire, the, the 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 always just wanting to fight. You know, the um, the the chance. There's always a chance for us to do good um, in every single match, and that's what I love. Did Slav have desire? You show okay. No, 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 okay. no, no. no. <laughs> Slav yeah. Have yeah, sure. He, he did that. He did he have? Did he do his best to try and get the best? If you like, did he give it hundred percent as, as a player or as a coach or a manager? As a manager. Okay, as a manager. Because yeah. he did leave for everything. You know, that didn't go so well. But um, he wasn't that loyal back then. But, but um, yeah, it's <laughs> just where this is where my. Um, <laughs> age comes in to benefit, uh, benefit me a little bit. I was too young to understand it back then a little bit. That's like, right. um, 
when I started to understand football, if you like, it was the area of sort of like Trevor Sinclair and Paulo Di Canio and stuff. So the, the Slav had already gone to Everton. Um, so I didn't really know him as a West Ham player. Um, so it's a bit different for me. So I don't have that sort of, I don't want to say hatred, but I don't have that thing against him that says, well, you ditched us as a player because I know of it, but it's difficult. If you don't experience it, it's difficult to sort of yeah. have that emotion about you, isn't it? I, I, I didn't either, so I really... Yeah, um, I'll, I'll say right now, I experienced it. Um, I I never hated the man because when he played when he played for West Ham, he friggin' well played for West Ham. Okay, and he played with guts and he put everything out there on the pitch. And for me, that was everything. You know, yeah, could could it have been handled a little bit better the way he left? Yeah, definitely. But you know, players move on. That that's part of the game. Okay, so player playing aside. All right, so management. Back to that. Um, this, um, I don't know if you can actually see this, but that's James Tompkins right here. Um, this is the absolute number one reason why I will never forgive um, Mr. Slav. Well, see, when, when we saw Tompkins, I thought it was the right thing to do because I felt it was Hang all up on him. <laughs> this way, wait, I, I'm not saying Tompkins is a bad player or that, but I just felt Tompkins was not a first team first 11 player, if you like, our club. We had Winston Reid in centre-back then as well. And this is when we had this this whole, and I was guilty of it, next-level dream, if you like. And um, I just thought James Tompkins is not part of the next-level dream. It, this is when we were being linked with the likes of Lacazette. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I know, but in all honesty, I'm one of the people that thought, actually, you know what, I, I started believing a little bit. And um, Tompkins, I didn't think, was sort of... I thought we, if we were trying to move on as a club, I think we need to sort of say, you know what, good luck to you, James, and off you go. And he's done well at Crystal Palace. But the thing is, he's not got in the England squad, has he? So he's, he's, he's played well, but that's it. He's played well. He's not been phenomenal. Um, and he's always one of these players I will associate with. If you're in a relegation battle, he's a fantastic player to have in your team because he will give 100%. He will throw himself in front of any shot. But if you start wanting to get into Europa League, He's the type of player you need to get rid of, and that's just my and that's just my opinion. I think he's sort of. I think the opposite because in, in the Europa League you need depth, and and he would provide. I know I know he wanted first team football. That was one of the main reasons why he said, "Yeah, sure, I'm out of here," because he wasn't going to be promised regular regular first team football. But at the same time, and if you look obviously hindsight, um, look at when what Winston Reid's done for us, and look what he's done for Crystal Palace. I mean, he's played, you know. I don't know, almost full, almost complete seasons with them. He's, he plays, puts the matches in. I'm talking Premier League football. He scores, you know, three three goals a season. Um, look what uh, Ogbon has been doing. You know what I mean? It, we don't know if we really like him or not. I mean, he plays one week, he doesn't play, you know, and then he'll play a shit game, they'll play an awesome game. That, there's no consistency. But with James Tompkins, an academy player, a West Ham player, he does give his effort 100% of the time. Like you were saying, he will always, you know, give 100%. That's West Ham to me. And that's the way he was brought up. That's the way he was trained. And that's why I cannot believe we got rid of him. Yeah, in hindsight, I think it was the wrong thing to do because we didn't reinvest his money correctly. Um, you know, we ended up, like you said, Obon has not been great, if you like. We've ended up with an injury crisis where we had to sort of rely on James Collins, who we were also trying to get rid of. Um, so in hindsight, it was the wrong thing to do. But at the time, I felt like it, it was the right thing to do. But how, how was I to know, or how was any West Ham fan to know that yeah. the, club's, the club's solution at right back was going to be Arbeloa? <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. God. Honestly, who could, have predicted, who could have predicted that? Okay, so at the time, we all believed in a dream. And I think I think Slav was guilty of it as well. Um, and I felt... At the time, it was the right thing to do. In hindsight, I think it was the wrong thing to do. I'll agree with you in that. So that was my number one reason. My number two would be the fact that you were mentioning earlier about, you know, even Moyes playing um, Fernandez out of position. I mean, Slav was absolutely 100% famous for playing players out of position multiple in multiple Antonio. games. Antonio. Antonio. Yeah, Antonio and... and okay, well, let's, and you, you, I was hoping one of you were going to say Antonio because David Moyes and Pellegrini have also played Antonio right back. And they've both shown that it's a stupid thing to do. It's amazing how these great managers can all make the same stupid mistake. Yeah, but the thing is, 
I think Antonio has all the attributes to be a good right back. The problem is it's his attitude. It's got nothing to do with his ability. It's just it's just purely his attitude because he doesn't want to play there. So he sort yeah. of throws a little bit and says, well, I'm not, I'm not playing here. Um, and, you know, did anyone tell Alex Ferguson he was stupid putting Antonio Valencia as a right back? The guy was one of the best right backs in the league for a few seasons. Ashley Young's doing it at Man United. While I don't think he's a great right back. He's still playing adequately. James Milner fills in at fullbacks. It's a natural thing to do, to look at your attacking mid because of the way the game's going and you want attacking fullbacks, you want fullbacks that can cross, can shoot, can almost contribute goals, if you like. It's Antonio had a really good um, goal-scoring record at right-back slash right-wing-back, if you like. Um, it's just a pity that he didn't want to play there because it would have been interesting to see. Uh, but every manager plays players out of position. Um, it wasn't you know long ago that we were looking at Pellegrini so, playing like Perez on, on the wing and stuff and thinking, what are you doing here? So then what do you actually love about him then? So out of all these things that we've, we've been throwing at you and now you're defending them, but like, okay, so what... Was I mean? What did you love most about him? I mean, what did he actually do? His passion, <laughs> his passion and also um, I think Slab wanted to win every game of football. I think that's that's important to me as a football fan. Uh, I want a manager that will try and win, and even if it means winning three two. You know, I always used to say David Moyes is a bit like Allardyce. He will try and not lose the game first and foremost. Slav, oh, yeah, I try to win the game, and I, I think there's a complete difference in mentality. And people used to say, "Oh, but we're conceding too much." Why? I was just think, bugger it. I don't care if we're conceding two, if we're scoring three, because that's entertainment. That's, surely that's what we want as football fans. You know, I don't want to see us grind out one nils. I want to see us try and entertain the fans and stuff, etc. Um, you know, if City win four two. Does anyone tell Pep Guardiola he's conceded two goals? No, they sit there and applaud because they've scored four and. I just think Slav had that mentality. It, the crucial, pivotal s- summer is 2016, where the club were on the brink of something good, massive potentially, and we just lost our balls completely in the transfer market. And the thing is, we did it in January as well, and we did it under Sam Aldice. Remember Aldice, we were fourth at Christmas. and That January, the club had an opportunity to say to Aldice, who do you want? Give us two players, and we're going to go spend. But, you know just keep us in the Europa League at least. You know, let's make the most of this opportunity. We're happy through the season. We're fourth. The club did nothing in the January transfer window. We mm-hmm. just stopped. And the same thing happened in the last season at Upton Park. We had an opportunity. January transfer window, we could have done something. We could have went out there and bought in a big player to sort of... It boosts the crowd's morale. It boosts the player's morale. It gives your manager the player he wants and stuff. We went and got Emenike. You know, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about Emily. <laughs> opportunities in the summer of 2016. Now, this is where it's it's good to hear Slav on the Premier League panel. Did you just watch him or have you seen clips? Yeah, of that? well, I, I saw like a couple of different clips. Yeah, yeah. So you saw, you saw him get asked about Dimitri Payet, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, Billich said, You've got two options A, you give him a new deal, have a bit more money, and keep him happy. Because and Slav basically said he was too good for West Ham, he went to France. And he was playing with players in the Champions League. So obviously it was a case of who you where you playing next season, what you're playing in Champions League, we're playing against this team, that team. Dimitri Pai was on playing for West Ham against Dumzali. So Slav was saying he was too good for West Ham. So to keep him happy, you have to give him more money every year. Give him more money to keep him happy. Or B you sell him and you cash in. And the club chose C, which was neither. Now the club's reasoning for that is we gave him a new deal earlier in the calendar year in January. I kind of understand the club's stance on that, but Slav has basically said you've got two options in the club. David Sullivan chose neither. So you, he had an opportunity there to back his manager's decisions. And it was one, get your wallet out, or two, sell him and cash in. We would have got 50, 60 million from Dimitri Pye that summer, maybe just off the back of that Euros. He said, Slav, you know, I've got 60 million now. What do you want? We did none, and we ended up selling him for twenty-five million and replacing him with um, Robert Snodgrass. And at the time, that was a disaster. But from then on, the player Slav wanted, he just never got. William Cavallo. I mean, can you not feel sorry for the bloke when the guy's literally been press conference and saying he's looking forward to getting William Cavallo in, etc. Doesn't get him. Then you see the email David Sullivan sent to Sporting. It was almost a threat. Sell us him or we're going to loan a player from PSG. Why would they even get the guy on loan from PSG? He went to West Brom. 
I just felt felt Slab had all the the personality that I look for in the manager. Now, you can debate if he was good enough as a manager. I don't think he was, but you know something? West Ham were a mid-table team then. We still are a mid-table team now, even with arguably an elite manager in charge of us. We're still struggling. And I just thought we had a manager that understood the fan base. If we got beat, Slab would look distraught. He would look genuinely upset. How many times have we got beat under Moyes or even under Pellegrini where the manager just sort of shrugs his shoulders and off down the tunnel and he goes? Now, I'm not saying they don't get upset because for all we know in the change room, they go bananas, etc. But we just had a manager that got it, in my opinion. He got everything about West Ham. Um, He just had the the wrong staff around him or something because he clearly doesn't – he's not the greatest manager in the world. But he, like you said, he has the passion. I, I can't take that away from him. Obviously, you're right when it comes down to that. But when it comes down to actual management, um, he's probably one of the, you know, not, I can't say one of the worst I've ever seen, but he's not one of the best by any means. And he I, just had owners that didn't deal honest with him, well, Tim. That, that he just had well. owners that didn't deal honest with him. And I, and I think that's always been the problem. I mean, when when you look at the the, the people that, 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 that Gold has, has said, yeah, this is what I want and this is what we're going to do, and the way he's handled affairs, it's, you know, it's, it's awful to say it because you can't, yeah, it's not like you can you can sack your owners and get a new owner in tomorrow. Yeah. It's I just, mean, you're stuck with them. When the the summer, I mean, when Allardyce left and it was that summer and they were looking for new managers, I mean, I, I'm biased because I really want to be Elsa. I, I, there was talk about Bielsa. I want to be Elsa. Billich was like choice number three and we got him and, and it was a big, huge eruption of, you know, the fans were so happy because he was West Ham. And I'm like, okay, well, that's all well and good. But do we want to win? And sure enough, um, he had the squad and, and uh, then, you know, the last season at the bowl in behind him and he had Hyatt and everything else. It was just, you know, he had everything going for him and and it, and it went well. And then after that, it's just his true colors as a manager, um, in my opinion, showed. And, and, you know, I felt that, you know, someone like a Bielsa or even a Benitez or anybody else would have done a much better job. I didn't want Billich that summer. I didn't want Slav. Slav would have been my fifth or sixth choice or something like that. Um, I can't remember who I wanted. Bielsa was certainly up there. I've got this is shame on me here, but I think Andre Villaboa was near the top of my list as well because he was quite mm-hmm. young he, yeah. at the time. At the time back then, he was young. He had a couple of tough gigs, and I thought he's got something about him. I wouldn't mind seeing him. I, I was hoping he would be sort of be our Pochettino, if you like. Um, but I didn't want Slav then because I always think when you go for a manager, you need to go for someone that's overachieved recently. That's my rule of thumb. Yeah. Um, Slav hadn't done that as far as I was concerned, so I didn't really want him. But he very quickly won me over. My 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 thing with Slav is he never got a fair crack at the whip. That's why I will always sympathise with him. Sullivan threw him under a bus massively. Time and time again, Sullivan just slung him under that bus and he hid behind him like a human shield, David Sullivan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, Slab never had a fair crack. So we will never know what would have been. I don't think we would have ever gone anywhere in the league, but I, I think we might have done something in, the, in a cup with Slab because unlike Pellegrini, unlike David Moyes, Slab never, ever got beat to a side in the cup that wasn't a Premier League side. Yeah. Pellegrini yeah. lost to Wimbledon. Slab sure. never lost to Premier League side. Um, and the only teams to put him out were Spurs, Man U, and, and Leicester City. And when Leicester City did it, they went on to win the league that year. So in terms of getting put at the cup, Slab took them seriously, and that's important to me um, as a West Ham fan. And real quick, um, before we head off, because um, we're running out of time here, I just want to mention our sponsor, the coffee that I always drink. It's Strava Craft Coffee. The link is in the description. You can save 15% off your first order. Uh, they make amazing craft coffee, great people, great coffee. Um, and uh, they make regular coffee decaf. They make it's all premium crafts, super delicious. They also make coffees with CBD oil in it, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, so check them out. Links in the description. Um, Geo, now mentioned before we, we uh, end this, talk a little bit more about the boats and you know any meetups you got going on and plug anything else you feel free to do. Uh, well, the, the boats, I suppose, if you want to come join myself, Gons and loads of other people, beer, barbecue, every game. Um, it's two minutes from your seat in the London Stadium, doesn't matter where you sit. Um, just come on to hammerstrack.com. It's a forum there. It's free to join up as well. So come along if you want some discussion. And it'd be good to see as many people. If you're coming over, 
um, you can let us know that you're coming in advance. We'll guide you through it a, a little bit as well. And we, we've got a hotel actually. If you if you just come over to the Moxie, which is in Stratford, if you there's a code. If you go on hamishchat.com, you see you get a discount there because you're a Hamish Chat member. So we, we do our best for our members as well. But um, it's been it's been a pleasure coming on. So thank you very much. It's been lovely to meet you both. Yeah, seriously, you as well, man. I, I, I was very thankful that you came on. Um, we really enjoyed yeah, real this. Real pleasure, and, mate. Real pleasure. Thank you. Wayne, thank you for always, uh, you know, helping me out when uh, Lee has to work. <laughs> so, ah, my, it's my pleasure, <laughs> mate. You know that. I'm a media whore. You know, I've always told you that. <laughs> um, Gio, man, um, we'd love to have you back on sometime. Uh, we're going to, you know, recycle, you know, guests as much as we can because, it's really important that people like you and you know Mike Manera and we'd love to have Gonzo on sometime too and anybody else involved with Hammer's Chat, um, you know, to, to keep the awareness going about you guys and, and all the shows over there in the UK. And um, yeah, so yeah, the at, at the end of the day, when we started, we needed some people to give us a hand, and um, we've never forgotten that. And whenever anyone says, "Oh, do I collaborate or whatever," we all will always say yes. It doesn't matter who it is or that, because at the end of the day. Uh, and no one's bigger than anyone else, really. We're all just doing our own thing. And, you know, why wouldn't you collaborate? Yeah, man. No, I appreciate it. Seriously, it's a huge, huge thing for us. And um, we're, we're honored to have you on. And again, well, you've got a great so show. You've got a great show. And if anybody's not checking it out, you need to go check out Hammer's Chat because it's a brilliant show. It is. It is, man. All right. Come on, you irons. Wait. <laughs>